The launch at Marconi has one of the most colorful stories I've come across recently. Its developer and operator, Oliver Hospitality, invited me to check it out recently. You can follow along on the Hospitality Daily YouTube channel today. And in this episode, you'll hear from Ethan Orley, the managing partner of Oliver Hospitality, about how this project came to be, with lessons for you on everything from concept development to the design to the guest experience. Staying at this property was a highlight for me, and I want you to hear what it takes to design and deliver an exceptional property like this one. Hospitality. 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 Hospitality brings people together. This is Hospitality Daily, the show that helps you stay informed and inspired each day by the most interesting people in hospitality. My name is Josiah McKenzie, and my goal is to help you reconnect with why you work in this industry and get fired up to go out there, delight others, and reach your goals. Let's get started. Good friends of mine, Rodney Fong and Adam Mendelson out of the Bay Area, brought the project to me and said, hey, can we work on this together? And this was the middle of COVID. And it was an exciting opportunity to step into. It was one that you knew that there would be a lot of brain damage because it was a lot of extra pieces that you wouldn't normally have to go through. But it was compelling for so many reasons. And it was so exciting. The project is a state park concession. And these are very typical, whether it's in Yosemite or Grand Canyon or any state park you typically have a third-party for-profit organization that runs it on behalf of that government agency. Is that what a concession means, the running on behalf of the agency? I think the way to think of it is think of it as like a ground lease. Think of it as just like a lease. It's actually just an operating agreement. So I guess theoretically has kind of less kind of legal teeth. But these agreements typically kind of run from five years to 25 years. This was actually a 55-year agreement. And the way we were able to structure for longer is that Marconi has been a very, very special park, but it kind of lacked an ability to kind of keep itself afloat over the years, through COVID especially. And I think that the state of California was open to the idea of a group coming in and investing even more dollars than normal for an extended period of the agreement. And so this was a park, just imagine 62 acres on Highway 1, one hour north of San Francisco in West Marin beautiful rolling hills overlooking Tamales Bay, which opens up into the Pacific Ocean. And this park, as you previously mentioned, was the site of one of Marconi's long-range telecommunication towers and setups and relay stations that went from the East Coast all the way to Hawaii into Japan at the turn of the century. And so an important kind of historical location that eventually got taken over by RCA during World War I, and then it kind of was neglected for a period of time until the Synanon Corporation bought it. And I believe that was in the late 60s. And they set up their, what ended up being their world headquarters for their kind of drug rehab facility. And as the story goes, Synanon, what is now kind of considered now is a cult, if you will. But at the time, it was kind of a for-profit organization. This ended up kind of being a important location and the history of Northern California kind of commune cult activities and long story short is Synanon went bankrupt. It was forced into bankruptcy essentially by the federal government. So the park was donated to the state of California and it was run by MCCRC, which is a local nonprofit. Long story short is we had the tremendous opportunity to partner with the local nonprofit 
and the state of California to elevate the property and really kind of bring it to its current state. So to answer your question, we took the existing buildings and there were about 15 buildings at all on the property, ranging from 1910 to 1970. And I think for us, how do you build a brand identifier that can kind of go from something that feels like it's like Italianate architecture from the turn of the century to kind of geometric, brutalist, third bay tradition architecture from the 1970s. And I think we want to kind of tread lightly on both, right? You want to be historic, but people want to stay in some place that feels modern. You want to be in some place modern, but you don't want to feel like you're living in an old cult building. So how do you kind of just tease all these elements while staying fresh and feeling like a place that is open to what we like to think of as kind of a coastal retreat, a place where you can kind of revive your senses. And I think we did very much that through the interior design, which hones in on that clean 70s style, but feeling very kind of coastal and fresh and still very peaceful, but also really hitting home the fact that this is an important kind of historical monument for its time. I appreciate you elaborating on the design because that not only is part of the brand identity, of course, the interior design facilitates people kind of restoring themselves. And in talking to a number of team members on property, I think there's this notion of sort of disconnecting to reconnect with ourselves, with loved ones. And it felt that interior design and the amenities that were offered facilitated that. So in the center of a bunch of the buildings is a big fireplace. There is sort of a common area where there was a happy hour offered. And I found we actually had some friends drive up from the Bay Area just to spend a little bit of time for us. And then they ended up kind of staying the night there. And so it's interesting to experience both as a guest, but it seems there's a lot of thought around this notion of helping people disconnect and reconnect with each other. Was that a part of the process too? Absolutely. I think it started with even the Synanon, right? So they built this and they ended up moving their headquarters, I think from Santa Monica to this location because it was an opportunity even then to kind of disconnect, right? Be off the grid. And history has kind of repeated itself, right? Now we all kind of want to get off the grid, if you will. And so it was a no-brainer not to include televisions in the room. I mean, it's funny. I think people always pay more for a room that has no TV, right? It's kind of like the under-canvas model, right? Less is more. So we really wanted people to come up there and recognize that this is, it also has that state park feel to it a little bit. You want to go there. It's kind of spread out. It's trails. I mean, it's very much a place to reconnect because that's how it was originally laid out. And so I think we were just following the timeline and the trajectory that was already set prior to our coming into the project. So yeah. I love it. I wonder if you could speak a little bit to the visual branding and the communication touch points. You mentioned for Oliver Hospitality, this is a core thing that you focus on. I kind of was experiencing this in the stationery and the in-room guides and things like that. Can you speak a little bit more to the, how that visual design or brand identity process worked at this specific project? Oh my God. We spent way too much time putting together our own lookbooks on this thing. And I think I probably drove Jeremy Wells and Dustin from Longitude crazy, but they ate it up too, because you just don't get these opportunities too often. There were just droves of photographs. It's like, do you use Marconi's signature from 1905 or do you use the font from the Synanon letterhead from 1970? It was a culmination. What I liked about working with Longitude was that they love that kind of retro style, which has become very, very popular. But I thought that they could really take it and have some fun with it. And the key is here is to be serious, right? You want to feel somewhat upscale, but you also want to know, you want to let people know that it's okay that we're having a little bit of fun. 
it's not a perfect property. It is by no means a five-star property, right? So it's got its warts and it's got its aspects where you're going, oh, okay, that definitely feels very 70s, but then you can kind of see where we upgraded. And so I think it was just a matter of stretching those ideas of what it can be. But yeah, no, I think we were able to take lots and lots of information and just pick up on enough to kind of create that visual impact. And it's still evolving, right? Our newest website is coming live next month. And we already kind of made some tweets We're like, you know, that felt a little too state parkish. This needs to kind of go a little bit more trying to sit in on or a little more kind of clean line. So it has been a hard project, but I think based on how your response is, I think we were successful. You also offer some really fun swag in terms of like t-shirts and things that go beyond just slapping a logo on it. Why have you invested in this? Gosh, my team asked me the same thing. Ethan, you're so obsessed with swag. I mean, I just think it tells the story, right? It's the least expensive way for an operator to kind of add layers to one's experience, whether they buy it or not. To me, it's a break even. I really love good swag and I still think it's a work in progress, but it's important to me. And since I think some people would argue whether it is. And yeah, I'm glad you like it. Well, it's great. And even if it's a break even, as you mentioned, it becomes essentially free advertising. So it's kind of, in a way, it's a little crazy that you have people buying what essentially is advertising for your brand. Yeah. And certainly there's been this whole trend of, if you know, you know, as long as you don't hit it too hard, it's like, oh, Marconi, West Marin. It's like, I really try to push our designers and our in-house group to really kind of make sure that it hits the mark as far as kind of just not being, trying to be cool, you know, so like at all, at, all, at all points. I don't know if we hit on all that. Again, I think there are some peers in the business who I highly respect. And I know how much effort it takes to get it to where it needs to be. You alluded earlier to this notion of trade-offs and not trying to be all things to all people. And I think that's actually a good thing. You're talking about it in the context of allowing people to disconnect and you're not going to have TVs in the rooms. And it just is what it is. How do you decide that on a project like this? Because I imagine some of those trade-offs or decisions are difficult. Well, I think the good news is that my partners and I, I think we were all aligned in the beginning. That was easy. I think we had other people in our own organization who are more traditional travelers and are like, well, you're not gonna have a TV in the room, what am I gonna do? I'm like, well, you're probably not our target audience. And I was reading an article about another gentleman in the business that just opened a hotel without TVs. And his whole point, and I agree, is that if you're trying to kind of make your project or your property open to everybody, then you'll attract nobody, right? So as long as we attract 1% of 1% who kind of get it, we're in business. And being a 45-room hotel in West Marin, I think allows us to be very, very specific. And I think when people get there and they see that, I think it actually enforces the fact that we're special, or at least they think, oh, wow, like that was intentional. Okay, this is even a more special property. So we actually got, to me, that was like the easiest decision was make no TVs in the room. I mean, that's like a no-brainer. If we put TVs in the room, we wouldn't be like, these guys just don't get the business. So yeah, that was the easiest decision to make, to be honest with you. I love it. I'd love to close with hearing a little bit about what you're most proud of in this project. There's a lot to be proud of, but anyone listening, you know, kind of why they should come stay at the Lodge at Marconi for hospitality, industry professionals, owners, investors, why should they stay here and kind of get a glimpse into what Oliver's hospitality is able to do? Anything come up for you in terms of what you're most proud of on this project? From the inside, I'm proud of the fact that this was a very, very complicated property to kind of redevelop, right? A lot of stakeholders. We have great people in the West Marine community that kind of have been cheerleaders. We have state parks that have been huge cheerleaders. I think they were impressed with what we've done with the interiors. Probably the nicest 
state park accommodation property, you know, in the country, as far as I'm concerned, from an interior design standpoint. So from my perspective, I'm proud of the fact that this was just a very complicated property for 45 keys. I think from the outside in, I think people will respect the fact that you've got 60 acres on Highway 1 within an hour of San Francisco, of the Golden Gate Bridge, and that you don't have to drive even further north to kind of get to some really unique lodging accommodation properties. And so I think people appreciate that here's a state park that 99% of people that I surveyed didn't even know existed. All of a sudden, we're going to kind of put it back on the map. We have upgraded rooms that I think meet that threshold of like that design moment that people are seeking. And I think with the enhancements that we continue to kind of work on over these next couple of years, I think it'll just cinch that perfect confluence of trails, design, access to great food with a fairly affordable price point, kind of given outside Bay Area lodging opportunities. So I think it kind of hits on all those, like you asked. I think that as the property evolves and as we bring the restaurant online and we bring the event spaces, we further renovate the event spaces, I think if you haven't had a chance to come take a look, come take a look. It's really a special spot. And our focus right now is not just the wedding market on the weekends, but also the midweek, call it kind of executive or kind of company out of office opportunities. And so we are really pushing to kind of get the nonprofits back in, the associations, the companies to kind of come in for their offsites. And so I would encourage folks to come and take a look and really get to know us because I think this is going to be a very, very popular place for Bay Area residents to explore in the years to come. Well, I think you're right. And that couple that I told you came up to have a drink and they ended up staying the weekend at the Lodge at Marconi, they actually just signed a contract to do their wedding there. Yeah. So I think you're right in the sense that people come, they experience it, they fall in love with it. And these big life moments, this can become, you know, they were just so excited about that. So I appreciate you inviting me to come up there and stay there. And I think it's really cool kind of what you've built and are building. It sounds like it's very much a work in progress, which is exciting. Yeah, we're so lucky. I mean, it was just one of these fluke opportunities. And I'm grateful for the opportunity, frankly, from the local community and from state parks who are just going, okay, never worked with these folks before. We've seen their portfolio, but let's give them a shot. And I think we've done very good by our commitments and our promises. And it's just going to be a dream come true. It's definitely a bucket list project, right? You know, you don't get these too often in life. And I'm so glad that we were afforded this opportunity. Before we go, I want to let you know about a few more things. First, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite app to stay inspired each day by actionable insights from the most interesting people in hospitality. Second, I've started sharing videos and photos from the stories on this show on Instagram and YouTube, so if you'd like to see those or watch along, I encourage you to follow Hospitality Daily there so we can stay in touch. Third, if you'd like to listen to more conversations like the one you just heard, visit this podcast website at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com. I've spent a lot of time building out this website because I want to make it really easy for you to listen to the topics and guests that you are interested in, whether that's culture and leadership or operations or technology or something else. Browse and search the entire library of more than 400 episodes for some of the top leaders and innovators in hospitality at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com. Dot com to get ideas for delighting the people around you and reaching your business and career goals. 
I produce this podcast each day and give it away for free because I want us all to learn and grow together. If you enjoyed today's episode, I just have one favor to ask. Please take a moment to text or email this episode to a friend or colleague who might appreciate it as well. They'll be grateful to hear from you and what we covered in the show can help them as I hope it helped you today. Thanks for listening and I'll see you here tomorrow. 